you're not. Can everybody remember to put their phones on airplane mode, please, so we don't interrupt our our live feed here to Facebook? Yes. All right. Good morning, everyone. My name is Colin Amato, and today's date is August 10th, and we are here at Freiburg New Church Assembly. Uh, I want to start. Yes, sorry. Uh, Psyche and Soma, and I believe the subtitle was roughly something along the lines of spirituality, sexuality, psychology, and the body. We probably won't get to all of those things. <laughs> it's a long subtitle. Um, I want to start today by acknowledging that this, uh, the topic of sexuality uh, at times can be controversial and can sometimes be considered taboo by some to talk about openly. And so I want to acknowledge that going forward, that this is a personal topic um, and that I don't present my reflections as one of an expert or with any expectation that people will necessarily agree with everything that I'm going to say during this talk. Um, I really do want to encourage um, the diverse opinions and voices with regards to this particular topic. Um, I stand before you as a student minister in training. I'm also a psychotherapist in training as well. Um, so I'm hoping in a couple of years to not only be a licensed therapist in the state of California, but also an ordained Swedenborgian minister in the General Convention of New Jerusalem. So um, I have a little bit of background in, in, in the topic of being able to discuss sexuality and spirituality, but by no means consider myself an expert. Still learning. Um, I feel that as Swedenborgians, we are in a unique position in a lot of ways. Uh, unlike many Christian denominations before us and contemporary to us, the topic of sexuality was hardly ever broached or considered in the open. In fact, quite the opposite. For many centuries, sexuality and the body were considered to be negative, sinful, and something that either should be shunned or placed in a very narrow, rigid context. Swedenborg surprised his contemporaries by devoting an entire book to the subject of not only marriage, but to sexuality and discussions of the body. I have a, the British edition here of Conjugal Love. And it by no means was received in a positive way by everybody. In fact, on both sides of the Atlantic, there was controversy around whether it should be read, suppressed, discussed, and yet Swedenborg stood fast to his main thesis, which, if I may summarize it in a nutshell, uh, is that masculine and femininity are parallel to the, to the areas of love and wisdom, and that each one of us contain love and wisdom but that we seek an, a partner with which to balance, join together, and essentially become one. And that this joining creates something new. It's generative, it's creative, and it is necessary, Swedenborg says, for not only the continuation of the human species, but also uh, for the continuation of things anew. In some ways, we become almost uh, as secondary um, artists in this grand scheme of creation. Now, 
In our Swedenborgian history, there have been many different views or how to approach these particular teachings. When I first joined convention, uh, and I was slowly learning about Swedenborg's writings, I was told by one of our ministers in the West Coast that there were two books that he would rather not have out on the guest table or the table where guests might come in and see our literature. The first book was Earth and Other Planets. The second was Conjugal Love. Now naturally, being a newcomer, I've only been a Swedenborgian now for about five years, those were the, one of the first two, like, the two earliest books that I read. <laughs> because if I'm told that something is controversial, I would like to read it. I was pretty amazed by both books. And I could tell that there was a lot going on. And something about myself, when I dive into a subject, I like to amass as much literature as possible. So I discovered that there was a wide variety of interpretations of how Swedenborgians throughout history have approached both these texts. Now, I'm going to leave Earths and the Universes away from this talk. Of course, later in the day, if anyone would like to have a chat with me about that, I would love to. Uh, but conjugal love, or the teachings of conjugal love, is what I like to focus on. I discovered that in convention there is really no consensus of how to approach the text. There are historical discussions about it. You can find those in the messenger, and I'm just slowly starting to delve into that. There's a lot to go through in the history of the messenger's articles. But there were real discussions going on about what do we do with this text. Convention seems to leave it up to the individual person to decide how to approach the meaning and understanding of the text. Other Swedenborgians and other groups might take a more literal approach to it. And one in particular looks at the writing as allegorical, something to be taken metaphorically. I'm not sure which one's correct, and I'm not going to champion one over the other. But one thing is certain. When I read the text for myself and started to look into the uh, teachings of conjugal love, I found that a question that kept popping up in my own mind was, is this teaching going to be relevant in the 21st century? Will it be relevant for us going forward into the future? And again, meditating on Susanna's sermon from this past Sunday, 50 years from now, in our Swedenborgian denominations and groups, will this book be relevant? Will the teachings of conjugal love be relevant in our society? A lot has changed since Swedenborg's time. Swedenborg was an excellent writer. I think we all can agree on that in terms of knowing his audience. He knew who he was writing for. Indeed, I learned in my Intro to Swedenborg class just this last fall that true Christian religion was largely written as a defense uh, to his Lutheran contemporaries, something I had not known when I first became a Swedenborgian. Then the text made absolute sense at that point in terms of its content, its structure. <clears throat> Conjugal love was definitely written for a time and place and a society that was largely, um, that the readership would be largely heterosexual and male, patriarchal. To be fair to Swedenborg, and this I will say, largely progressive for the time. Not only with him breaching the subject of sexuality, being progressive, but his willingness to talk about things that I don't think many people would have been willing to talk about during the time, such as well, the stages in a marriage that might lead to divorce, 
to openly talk about divorce being, for some relationships, a thing that will happen. To talk about the importance of sexuality for both genders. Uh, very much ahead of the time. Sigmund Freud, in the 20th century, would be mystified by feminine sexuality and say to one contemporary, I just don't understand. <laughs> Meaning he didn't understand feminine sexuality. Swedenborg, though, openly talked about both genders. And probably the most progressive thing, that with his metaphysics, that sexuality and marriage would continue on in the next life. So I give Swedenborg credit that this text and these teachings were very progressive for the time. So now I begin to wonder if we take the text and the teachings and not only Swedenborg's methodology, might we say, where can we land here in the 21st century? Now Swedenborg was an avid reader. Not only did he read St. Augustine, who he was uh, largely quotes throughout the writings, but even in his scientific writings, he, you're reading about nebular hypothesis and suddenly there's quotes from Ovid's Metamorphosis, Plato and Aristotle. So you have poetry, you have some Greek philosophy, uh, with, which at times seems rather random. But I think it's important to note that he did read <clears throat> Plato and in his philosopher's notebook quotes many passages and talks about Plato uh, in great detail. So he was familiar with not only Platonic, Neoplatonic philosophy, but also Hermetic and alchemical texts as well. So keeping that in mind, this might assist us in thinking about his own teachings on the subject of conjugal love and sexuality. Hermetic and alchemical philosophers largely believed that any text that had to do with male and female could largely be interpreted as being the masculine and the femininity within each individual. And indeed, the Swiss psychoanalyst Carl Jung in the 20th century brought this to the forefront in his psychoanalytical theories of the anima and the animus, masculinity and femininity that exist in all of us. So that with this psychological interpretation or psycho-spiritual interpretation, we may not be confined to a very um, concrete or narrow view of the teachings being strictly about gender roles, uh, but that what's being described as masculine, feminine, are things that are within each and every one of us. It frees it up a little bit, in my opinion. Similarly, when we look at Plato, I very much like that Swedenborg was a, was a, a fan of Plato. It was one of my favorite uh, writings by Plato is the Symposium which has a wonderful uh, origin story of humankind that when the gods and the goddesses created man, they at first were, for lack of a better word, hermaphroditic or were combined. There was, uh, some of them were, I suppose. There were two humans fused together. Male, male, female, female, male, female. And they were superhuman and a risk to the gods' authorities. So Zeus came up with the idea of severing each one, each pair in half and casting their souls into the material world so that therefore they would no longer be a threat to the gods' reign on Mount Olympus. Plato, or Socrates as the narrator is in Symposium, says clearly that 
One of the goals of human perfection or human experience here on earth is to seek out your missing half, which for some might be male and male, some might be female and female, and some may be male and female. Now, what's fascinating is that Swedenborg does not explicitly talk about what we might call LGBTQ spirituality in any of his, uh, well, at least not in conjugal love. It's not mentioned. It's not mentioned in the positive part that I might say, which is the encouragement of conjugal union, nor does he talk about it as a sin or something to be avoided in the latter part of the text, which I found very fascinating. Not only fascinating, but also, again, the question of how can we go forward into the 21st century. Now, Swedenborg's reception, not only just conjugal love, but also his writings in general, have been read by not only different Swedenborgian groups, but different psychologists. Carl Jung read him extensively, or at least we know five books he read when he was becoming a psychiatrist. And poets and literary figures and philosophers have read Swedenborg, Emerson, Whitman, Blake, and that these poets, especially Whitman, concentrated a lot of discussion on the body and sexuality. Emerson also spoke on the subject and felt that Swedenborg's theology was causing people to have a more liberated discussion about the beauty of the body and the beauty of human relationships, including sexuality. So. With all of this in mind, what I would suggest is that we actually have a very nice, consistent methodology with Swedenborg, and that he has imparted to us a legacy that perhaps we have not considered with this question of sexual variation or gender identity. And I feel that this is very important because regardless of what your personal views might be on the subject of sexual orientation or gender identity, it is a probable fact if I may be so bold to say, that in your, amongst your friends, amongst your family, in your own home church congregation, there is at least one person, probably more, but at least one person who fits the description of being identified as LGBTQ. So we have to think, as Swedenborgians, that this is a very important topic because how will those folks and those people that we know perceive not only our theology but the identity of being Swedenborgian in our denomination. How might they feel supported? And as a future minister and licensed therapist, I take very seriously the notion of not only mental health but of well-being and happiness. And so I feel that in terms of pastoral care, this is a great concern for me. How will these individuals feel when they are in congregations in our denomination? Will they feel supported? Will they feel alienated? Will they feel like they do not belong? But with Swedenborg's legacy in terms of his methodology, I would like to offer that he gives us some tools to work with. For example, being an empirical scientist, not only was he empirical when he was in what we might call his scientific phase, but even when he was in his spiritual or mystical phase, he was utterly empirical. He was writing down what he experienced, what he observed. And he did this consistently. He also gave us 
a very beautiful theological principle which I absolutely love, which is the, the doctrine of correspondences. And we've, we've heard uh, a lot about correspondences so far this week and the beauty of nature and how nature can teach us something about not only, not only ourselves, but the spiritual world. Swedenborg encouraged us to look out at nature, to study nature, to study the animal kingdom, to study plant life, in order to better understand ourselves and the spiritual world. So I have no doubt that he would have been fascinated by the observations that have only within the past 50 years been made of the bonobo chimps in the Congo. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the bonobo chimps. Unlike their chimpanzee counterparts, which are highly patriarchal, prone to violent aggression at times when they feel threatened, they are the opposite. There's probably not an aggressive bone in their body. In fact, they purely live the notion of make love and not war. Anytime they feel upset or have a violent urge, they release that aggressive energy by sexual activity. They also are largely matriarchal and polyandrous, meaning that the women take more than one uh, lifetime male partner. I also have no doubt that Swedenborg would have been fascinated by certain species of amphibians and fish that start off their life as female and then halfway through life become male. No doubt would he have been fascinated by that. And so I think to be consistent with, with our theology in terms of looking at correspondences, we might ask ourselves, what do the bonobos or those fish amphibians mean in a correspondential context? How might we meditate on what those biological entities mean for us spiritually? Another important thing, I think, is to not to not forget not only the empiricism, but the consistent message of relationships. Indeed, the main point of conjugal love, and I would say his uh, teachings on conjugal love, is that relationships are very important. In fact, the, they are the most important thing in terms of our, de in our development. We grow through relations. And indeed, in current mental health trends, I can speak on this, for the longest time there was this notion that we need to have cognitive behavioral therapy and that you needed to be on medication. Now I'll be very clear, uh, medication for many people saves their life. And so I say that not to be disparaging to pharmaceuticals or to the CBT therapy tradition, but it became the gold standard in mental health professions to do CBT and then have medication, medication, medication. What all therapeutic orientations are discovering now is that regardless of technique, the most important thing is the relationship, the therapeutic relationship. That those who have had dysfunctional families, those who have had a series of terrible tragedies or traumas, that it is the relationship with the therapist being accepted unconditionally, being heard without judgment, that the relationship is the thing that heals the psychological and emotional wounds 
That is now being seen consistently throughout all psychological orientations. And I think Swedenborg pre predicted, if I, if I may say, um, the importance of that concept. The relationships heal, they make us whole, they make us grow. And that a loving relationship, one that where you are joined with another and feel this sense of balance, wholeness, compassion, that those are the things that will not only heal you, but will continue to make you grow, not only in this life, but in the next. So these are just some of my thoughts regarding this topic. And again, I would like to conclude by just simply encouraging you to not only meditate on what I've said, but meditate, meditate on it in your own way. But I think for myself, being a student minister and a student therapist or therapist in training, there are a lot of implications for our congregations going forward. What will be our global engagement in the future? Many of our contemporary denominations are posed with this very tough question, and indeed it is a tough question whether to be open and affirming to all, or whether to say, well, you can be part of this congregation, but, and then there might be some conditions there. It is a question that we as Swedenborgians, regardless of whether we're in convention, the general church, the Lord's new church, must begin to ask ourselves. So if there is one thing that I would like you all to take away from my talk this morning, is to think about, this question and think about it in a very personal way for your home congregations. Just start there. How might we rise to this question and how might we best support everyone in our congregations going forward into the future? And with that, I think I will end my talk and open it up to discussions. Thank you for listening. Yes. I'm familiar with LBGT, but not the Q at the end. Could you say what that is? Questioning. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> yes. So-called queer. Yes, yes. And sometimes you see two Qs at the end. Yes, that's true. Yes, that's true. Thank you. Suzanne. Well, I'm really struck by, you know, when we take this thinking to our communities and think about, um, as you said, there's probably at least one person who identifies with one of those letters. And the idea that we have that we really need to become authentic as we work through our regeneration process and how important it may be, you know, we might not think, oh, it's important for, the, for this person to come out. but. The idea of, in this world, that's where we learn how to be our authentic selves. And for a person to, I mean, I, in, for myself personally, I did not have any place to talk about having had spiritual experiences until I found this church. I live a better life because I can be open about that. And it's allowed my regeneration to progress. And I suspect with people who have an identity that they have not revealed, that they are being held back in their regeneration because of the inability to be authentic and so I think it's really important what you're saying about bringing this back to churches talk about it and keep that conversation enough alive that somebody who has something that they need to reveal will feel comfortable thank you 
It's, it's very important to consider that not only for the adults in your congregation, but also the youth as well. Uh, I mean, it, 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 it is a statistical fact that the highest rate of suicide in the young adult adolescent community are from the LGBTQ community. And uh, certainly that's a very serious thing and something that we, we all need to consider going forward as well. Yes. I, I thank you for bringing up this topic because um, it's something that um, I've kind of always wondered about in this denomination and I'm new to it as well. Um, you know, I've been coming to this camp for a long time. Um, and I belong to um, a church in my neighborhood that um, is very small and is um, United Church of Christ and Methodist, so combined. Um, and we've been talking about this for the last couple of years and decided to be open and affirming. Um, I would just recommend the process of thinking about that to any congregation because, again, regardless of how you feel about it, the opening up the discussion was really helpful, I think, for everyone. Um, and for me, I just feel it's so important to be welcoming to everyone, um, no matter what. And um, what we came to was sort of a, a discussion of how far does each person feel like they can go in welcoming someone. And it, and it went beyond uh, sexuality, went with, you know, if you had a homeless person who had not bathed, would you welcome that person sitting next to you at communion, you know? It's just a really good um, sort of test, I think, of how much you can accept in others when you start thinking about all those situations. So I recommend that discussion. Thank you. Yeah. I just wanted to say that um, I was attending a um, Unitarian Universalist church for about 10 years in Norway, and they had um, a series of speakers who came um, because they were introducing this idea of becoming a welcoming con congregation. And we had a number of people in our congregation that were in the LGBT community. And so we had um, a person from each of those groups come and speak to us during our sermon time. And then also meet with us down in the community room as we have refreshments together. And they basically just told their personal stories. And it was, it just opened so many eyes and understanding. And you know, people had said later, wow, that, that was some of the best sermons we've ever heard. <laughs> because they're real personal testimonies. And um, especially with the transgender speaker, because that's sort of one that people shy away from maybe the most, I'm not sure, but that's sort of my impression. And um, so there was a transgender person who came and our congregation really felt warm toward that person after listening to the story of this person's life. So it was just, um, I think it's important that a congregational, any congregation really looks into this because there's a huge population of people in these communities. And, you know, if we're going to be honest and welcoming, you know, toward everyone, 
or are we going to exclude those communities? If we're going to be honest and welcoming everyone, we people need to be educated about that. And I think one of the problems some people have is that it, they don't know anybody personally in those communities. So to have a speaker come, present their story, see them as real life people, that's just very important. Mm. And it can make a big difference, I think. Thank you. Yeah, I know for myself, um, being a undergrad psychology major and then getting my master's in counseling, I think total I took about five to six sexuality courses over the course of that time, which again, does not make me an expert, but I was exposed to a lot of different views about the theory and you know sexology and, and what sexuality researchers do. And even though I say that, and I read a lot and discussed a lot, it wasn't until I had two friends that came out as transgender and have begun to, to take hormones, um, both biologically born male and now are transitioning to female, that made it real to me. Uh, so it went, from, it went from something that was incredibly theoretical, something that was very distant and not personal. But when both of them came out to me, then you better believe it became personal. And that was very transformative for me to, um, to witness that for them and to be there for them. Yeah. I just have a, um, had a little hard time with your talk because of your idea that Swedenborg wrote Conjugal Love for his time. I'd like to hope that you could expand your idea sometime and look into the idea that is written for a grand future. Hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, yeah, so I, if, if, you, if you'd like me to, if I, if I may clarify, if that's all right. Um, I think. Um, Certainly, understanding a text's origin and te textual context is, is very important. However, I, I, I would hope, um, and maybe I wasn't clear enough with my, the content of my talk, that my hope is that the teachings are for the future and that they are teachings that we, of course, must consider uh, for the future um, and that it's our duty to engage with them as such. Yes? I was wondering if you were going to say at some point about that Swedenborg wrote a lot about marriage love for someone who was never married. <laughs> and um, just that, that was something when I first read it and I knew it, that Swedenborg had never been married, I was a little skeptical as I was reading. But then I got to some parts, I'm like, that is so what I'm living right now. How does he know that? Yeah. It's just, it was, it hit, what, I guess what I want to get at is that we don't have to have the experience of someone else to have an empathy and an understanding of what that's like. And Swedenborg demonstrated that for me by being able to read about, I could read about things I experienced in marriage from somebody who wasn't married. I think the same way we need to challenge ourselves that if we're not LGBTQ, we can still have an understanding and an empathy for someone who's different than us, but it's it's sort of a deeper understanding. I think it's, it's sort of like Swedenborg got what he got the spiritual world, so maybe our de deeper understanding and empathy need to come from our spiritual selves if they can't come from our own, you know, natural experience. Yeah. I like Susanna's idea that it came from the spiritual world. If we can get ourselves out of the idea that Swedenborg knew all these things about love and marriage, it was told to him by the Lord hmm. and by nothing other than an angel. If we allow ourselves to see that, mm. we see that even though he wasn't married, 
he had these insights directly from the Lord. Mm -hmm. So if we allow ourselves to remember that, mm -hmm. we don't have to be confused about the fact that he knew so much. Mm -hmm. I just love, there are certain things I just love, very practical things that I just love about the idea of marriage and conjugal love. And one of them is in relation couples, relating to another couple. And I'll just give one concrete example of his very down-to-earth living example of how to use something of truth in your life. And that is when couples relate, the husband sees the other woman kind of through his wife's eyes. <laughs> and that way, the relationship stays happy, or shall I say, safe. Hmm. And that's a wonderful teaching that if we can think of that, then jealousies and things like that is a wonderful thing mm. to teach us mm. in this world today. Mm. I wish we could share that somehow on placards or something. <laughs> I don't know how you would do that. Yeah, bulletin boards or I've also, a very, um, something that we think about in California is how can you get Swedenborg onto bumper stickers? And we mean that seriously. It's, it, it's a task because he was not brief. <laughs> so trying to get a few sentences on a, on a bumper sticker is difficult. But I thank you. Thank you. Yes. Um, going a little bit along those lines, I mean, I see conjugal love as an ideal um, and a goal. And a uh, we're predestined within order to reach that goal is that everyone can reach that point and everything short of that i see as a permission hmm. yeah Thank you. yes and, and one thing i very much admire about about the, the teachings is that even in even though he might at times seem harsh in in, in the teachings regarding conjugal love especially about the the behaviors that would deviate from conjugal love one thing that i really appreciate is you know, one might expect him to be very condemning, but he's not. You know, he's actually, he really does an amazing job. And I mean, we might say that the, the Lord gave him the insight to have this insight into human psychology and human relationships, to be able to consider other people's perspective in the relationship and to have this empathy and compassion and the different perspectives. Um, that some things happen, um, they may disrupt this ideal but they are things that do occur and that we need to be aware of those, those different behaviors that might happen. Any other questions or thoughts? Or? Yes. If um, friends of ours are having, in Halifax are having boy, I happen to know that. And we were all joking because you, know, you start to ask what color clothes and then someone said, well, how do you know what sex they think they are? <laughs> because a number of people in our community have had males who became females and vice versa. And I, I think <laughs> it, it gets real untheoretical real fast when your precious daughter becomes your son. And it's, uh, it really challenges, you know, what's the, what do you really think about the meaning of masculinity and femininity and, and what is the actual reflection hmm. there? 
and its essence. And maybe it's that we have it uh, in our community, we're starting to conclude that we haven't really worked hard enough in understanding the first principles. Thank you. Yeah. I understand that those communities where a female seems to appear to become a male at puberty or something like that is really because we didn't understand that they were male to begin with. They just hadn't developed a certain physiological um, uh, part of their, uh, I guess, some of their uh, hormones or whatever didn't kick in at a certain time. But, um, but so I think that's easy to accept that your daughter has become your son. I don't know if people know about the studies of communities where this is a percentage of 15% of the uh, population, it's a genetic thing, and that doesn't develop until later. Uh, maybe some people aren't aware of that, but that's actually true. And I sort of studied it, and uh, to me, it, you would just take a deep breath and say, oh, I see. I wish it were that simple for a lot of people. It's, it's, it's not, unfortunately. Um, but but I, I admire you for, for, for sharing that, and uh, and I would very much pray that at some point in the future it would become that easy for for all people. Uh, I think guard. Uh, I just want to thank you very much for your very thoughtful uh, presentation on this subject. Um, and just to uh, highlight one of the things I appreciate the most is this notion of, of learning from this text in a new way, in a contemporary way. I believe your question was, what does this text, as we receive it, say to, the say to us now in the 21st century? That's a wonderful question. And um, I believe that is a value that I would appreciate uh, so very much, that to be part of a community that's willing to learn doesn't have the answer set, but if it does, is willing to say, what can I, what else can I find out? And be open about that inquiry with this particular text. Um, I could go on, I will resist. Um, so maybe to say one other thing though, I'll limit it to this notion that we're a spiritual community, the deepest or among the deepest values of which is is regeneration, spiritual growth. We, we say that's a potential. It's always present. So what? So in welcoming people of diverse uh, lifestyles, views, and va values of this sort, how can that? How can our welcoming participate in their regeneration and our own regeneration? Appears to me to be a fundamental value which I would so welcome to participate. Thank you. Thank you. Suzanne? What I have to say kind of dovetails with that because um, I just wanted to relate that uh, um, I was in Tem Temnos in Pennsylvania for 10 years and one of the little girls that I had you know, known, known her since she was six, she recently on Facebook, she's 16 now, and she came out as a, a lesbian. And I asked her about her experience about that. You know, Did she get a lot of positive reinforcement? Did people unfriend her? I mean, how did that work? 
And what she said was, it was so important to, for people to support me because when people said, I love you and I support you, it took away the sting of anyone who had rejected her. And that it's so important for us to give that a little extra, you know, instead of just going, oh, that's nice, and you know, yes, I can accept it, but think about the person who took the risk of doing that and make sure they know that you love them. Make sure that you give that positive support because they will get some negative. And, and I feel like maybe the balance will shift as we go into the future, you're talking about what's gonna happen in time, that maybe there'll be fewer and fewer negative responses and more and more love and support. And, and that is what the communities can do and what individuals can do. Thank you. Martha. I, this is kind of a subject for me because I know someone very personally that has changed, but um, what do you love about a person? When you, like, I like what Lois said about looking in the eyes we don't only do this kind of with spouses, but as as children, you look at them. What do you love about them? Is it their face and, and things? Yes, they all have these angels, you know, they're beautiful children and things. But what you really love is their soul. I mean, we that's what we love about people is their soul. And that soul is still the same soul. It, that soul does not change. Mm -hmm. And it's like what, even like when Jesse said, I like that what she said about homeless people or people that are, are different that come into your church or people that, you know, have illnesses or whatever that make them do maybe what we would think unacceptable in a church atmosphere, like talk during the service or, or say amen in a real loud voice or, <laughs> or, or whatever, you know? Yeah. What, do, what is it about them? It's that soul from God that, that we want to become attached to, not not that person or their actions. So I think that we have to look at what is it do we love about other people? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go one step further and reveal more. Um, I am an aunt of a, my nephew. My nephew was born a female and has gone through the process of becoming a male. And our family was what his main support during this transition and process. And he's just, he's an amazing human being. That's just, he's amazing. And one of the things, and we're very open, hmm. and one of the things I asked, because unfortunately, um, the other side of his family has not been supportive. And he said the, the thing that got him and is continually getting him through because he's entering a very difficult surgery procedure coming up. But um, he said the thing that has gotten him through the majority of this was our family's acceptance of him as a person, not as a female. Crying. <laughs> 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 but just as a person. And and I think that's what you were saying. Yes, yes. absolutely. I asked his mother, I said, 
how do you feel about your little girl becoming a um, boy? And she says, you know, he's the same person. He's the same person, and I love him unconditionally. I love him as who he is. Thank you both. Thank you. Yes, George. I, I want to speak supportively, and, and I got to keep myself at a certain limit. No your first, your reading this morning set off a whole series of thoughts about them building a tower. What did they do? They made brick hmm. in place of stone. That set off the thought that the Lord said, when you build me an altar, don't build it with hewn stones, but stones that I made. Hmm. And, and it, uh, you know, it's a wonderful thing. So when they were building their tower with bricks, the slime was really a highly volatile, flammable substance holding them together. Back to your talk. Hmm. If we're going to ever discover, discuss, we're going to have to start building with the Lord's stones, not my thoughts, hmm. not my slime. But, you know, putting it together. So, so, I read the Word, and I'm talking about me now, mm -hmm. and I love that teaching in the church that says, uh, first things said, that's the Lord, set the tone for that which follows. Last things said, pull it all together. So illustratively coming back, if we're ever going to discuss the subject, I think we all need to agree, let's discuss, hmm. but I don't want to discuss my theory, my little piece of slime, hmm. I want to get stones that have not been hewn by human influence. Hmm. Does that make sense to you? It, it does. Thank you. Are we time? We're time. Well, thank you so much for your attention and for your wonderful comments. Thank you. Probably the most important thing to get out, isn't it?